Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster, M-O-N-S-T-A.com. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing Podcast where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. Listeners to this podcast range from marketers who hire agencies to agency owners and then back to people who want to work for agencies. While at times the term agency has gotten a bad rap, companies looking to streamline their operations and maintain a high ROI continue to seek agencies, and the utilization of agencies continues to increase both on a local and a corporate level. So today I get to talk to another successful marketing agency owner and discuss things that marketers need to know when engaging with an external marketing agency. We'll also give you a few tips on things marketers must be doing if they want to increase revenue. Our guest today is a revenue growth coach. He teaches marketing, sales, and business strategies. He's a podcaster, and he's the founder of and CEO of Yokel Local Internet Marketing. So to discuss a few topics from revenue growth to working with agencies, welcome to the podcast, Daryl Evans. Hey, Daryl. Hey, thanks for having me, Lee. I really appreciate it. Uh, really appreciate all the work you're doing out here in the world. And uh, we're across the world from each other, but uh, I know we've known each other for a good three years. I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, yeah. Daryl and I were trying to figure out earlier how we met. It was probably, you know, digitally through LinkedIn or somewhere, but we appreciate what each other's doing. And so we've made it, kept that connection going over the years. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, thanks for joining me today, Daryl. Um, you know, since you're a fellow agency owner, um, I have to tackle a topic that I bring up whenever I talk to any other agency, and that's about the use of the term full service. And most of us have backed off the term and, and, and have dip, dove in deeper into specific niche services. And I don't see that you use that term much either, although your company does cover a lot of ground. So I want to know what's your take on agencies offering, quote unquote, full service, and what advice would you give marketers as they approach an agency with that full service claim? Yeah, great question. Full service, uh, just to put some context on it, when we started the agency, we really had three lanes that we ran in. We ran initially in the SEO lane, we ran in the web dev lane, and we ran in the video production lane. And within about three years of the business, we started realizing that we were left out of the uh, full journey of the buyer from the top to the middle to the bottom of the funnel. We realized that SEO is just a traffic channel. It's a good traffic channel. It's obviously what we would deem a, an intention, an intent-based channel. But we also found that we were lacking control over the rest of the journey, meaning what if they didn't buy today, right? HubSpot and all of their wondrous uh, data, they say 96% of all website visitors are not ready to buy today. I've been in sales and marketing for 30 years. I didn't know exactly what the number was, but I knew that number to be very true. So the question was, was if we're going to retain clients, how do we, and help them the best, how do we become more involved in 
the the re- the other steps of the journey, right? You think of the five stages of awareness, right? Unaware, problem aware, solution aware, product product aware, solution aware, and decision aware. And we just decided to make a, a decision around 2013 to become more a part of that journey and partner with our businesses in a deeper way. So to answer your question, the word full service has um, it's a it's a big uh, promise from an agency and from an agency standpoint you have to holistically approach what you're doing differently. Um, You have to go from a specialist uh, standpoint and become really uh, a company that has the appropriate number of subject matter experts across a wide channel with a deep amount of expertise. That becomes the tricky part of it. We did pull away from using the phrase full service um, because we got crystal clear on really what we wanted to do with our clients, meaning we wanted to be a part of the top of the funnel and the middle of the funnel and the bottom of the funnel. And so rather than calling it full service, because we're not like, if you just come to us to do a web design, we will not do it for you. We will only do web design for our agency retainer and growth clients. So we only do website for them. We do not do video production anymore unless you're a growth agency client with us. So we decided to narrow down the definition of a client, the definition of what the outcome and the output would look like based on the problems that they wanted to solve in their business. For us, it turns out that almost every client that comes to us, they don't want creative design. They really don't want a website. What they really want is growth. They want revenue growth. They want leads. And so we just decided to start dropping that phrase because we did use it early in the days. And um, we're trying to be very more specific about the solutions that we solve. And so we don't really need the word full service, although behind the scenes, it's quite an orchestration. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's just why I like talking to other agencies like yours, Daryl, because we seem to have had similar journeys. Um, I mean, Content Monster, I'm sure if I hit the Wayback Machine far enough, I'd find the term full service on our side at some point, too. Um, but two things like what you just said, two things we realized was, for one, we knew that we came from a specific area with, that we excelled in the most. And we also knew that there were certain pain points that we could solve better than other agencies could based on that that deep part of the T, you know, T-type marketer. Right. Um, and then also me being from the marketing world myself, being that that marketing director hiring agencies, the sales part, that was the key. I mean, can you justify the spend on marketing? And why does that ROI? And why are you marketing? How does it drive business? Those things made us reevaluate. You know, if you, if you bite off this full service cake, you can't really, it's hard to justify all those things you do to to a sales team or to a budget. And so justifying the things you do the best and to work the best from the agency side. And I'm guessing over the pandemic, you've seen some changes in agencies too and how we've had to kind of pivot a bit. So were there, was, there, was there anything that in the past two years or so that you've seen that that helped or guided some of your changes? Yeah, you know, obviously the um, both on the good and the bad side of that, right? So pandemic starts and you get a new definition of non-essential and essential businesses. And you realize how many people were not prepared for the digital age, no matter how much it had been in the front of the conversation. So that's the good news is that more and more businesses, more and more, uh, you know, founder CEOs and, and executives are taking digital seriously. But the transformation process is harder than they think because they waited too long, Right. One of the challenges we face is that they waited too long and in that becomes an unrealistic expectation of what it means to get serious about digital today. 
you know, I, I unfortunately have to have this conversation throughout the year. And that is just because you got serious today and you're hiring a firm like ours that has a long track record of success doesn't mean your other competitors give a damn. They don't care. And they're not just going to give up. You can't just go from a 12 domain authority to your 53 competitor and knock them off the first page. You need to be prepared for the long game. That's kind of the bad news. What is the good news? Well, the good news is today we also as marketers have to, we found out through the pandemic <laughs> what, by the way, I didn't come up with what I'm about to say. I, I just listened to an agency, a consultant who I uh, follow and, and uh, who's very tuned to what's happening in the agency space. And he said, if you're so good as a marketing agency, why were you the first person to let, get let go when the pandemic started? Why do they mm -hmm. shut down marketing departments in the recession? If you're so good, which means are you really as good as you think you are? And if so, you have to be close to the money. You have to be close to the sale. And so it was an interesting perspective because what it also helped us do was it really actually moved some of the things we were doing to the back of the line. You know, so if a client comes to us, as I kind of alluded to, if they come back and say, hey, we need a website, the question is why, right? <laughs> why do you need a website? Because with HubSpot, we can go in and build a set of landing pages. We can build, a, a, you know, some offer sequences. We can start running ads to those uh, those landing pages and those funnels, if you will. And we can prove that we're driving revenue from those pieces. Then we can let it inform the web design, right? So I, I do things differently, um, meaning we want to be close to the money. Uh, if you come to me talking all of this esoteric, I need, look, I'm, I'm all for brand awareness. Don't get me wrong. There's something we do that's specific for that. But if you just say, you know, we're just trying to, you know, uh, you know, a client came to us and said, hey, we need a bunch of help with our, our the development issues on our website. Sorry, that's not what we do. You know, I only want to talk with you if you're trying to grow the money piece of the of the thing. Doesn't mean we don't do the creative. We do. Doesn't mean we don't do the writing. We do. Doesn't mean we don't do the blogging. We do. But if it doesn't lead to the money, because to your point about ROI, most of our clients, uh, if we can't prove that, then it becomes an unsettling conversation at some point. Most of our clients are small and mid-market. They're not, you know, Fortune 5, Fortune 100. So, they just don't have endless budgets. And so it's always a conversation about what's the best thing we can do to get them a result and what does the result monetize? Like if we get a bunch of leads, great, but did they monetize? What percentage of them monetize? So we're always running the analytics. We're always running the numbers. Yeah, I have a degree in finance uh, by way of uh, wanting to be a portfolio manager on Wall Street. Didn't end up doing that. But uh, those, those, those skills and that knowledge serves me well in the world of analytics and KPIs that we live in today. There's a couple of things you said there that I want to make sure our listeners from those who are marketers, who are as an employee marketers, as well as those who have agencies. Um, and this is something that I lived by as a employed marketer. You said the ones who are closest to the money are the safest. And I realized that in my marketing career, I've done everything from, from email marketing, website design, all the way up to Salesforce administrator. And I realized that the closer I got to sales, the more stable I was. And I've seen marketing departments, when things get cut, I've seen who gets cut. Typically, it's the, the designers, the people who, you know, the social media managers, ones are way away. But since I had my hands in everything that connected marketing and sales, all the marketing operations, sales operations, all the, the backbone, I was safe because those people are closer to the money and they know how to drive the revenue. They're closer to... Uh, the term that I see on your website a lot, the growth strategy, they understand that portion. portion. So on the 
on the agency side of hiring agency, I want you to speak to the businesses and some marketers um, that perhaps people like our agencies have turned down. We both mentioned that sometimes we have to turn down clients. Um, and we typically don't work with any person or a company that doesn't have a website. Yes, those people exist. Or they have a website with no lead generation functionality. Um, and their business primarily depends on rented land, such as social, social sites. Um, but then they want us to come up with content for their social channels, but they have nowhere to direct that traffic or process to drive business, which basically to me means they have no growth strategy. So what do you say to people who are in that stage where you see they don't have a real plan to connect the dots or all the different pieces of marketing to actually build a correct growth strategy? Yeah, the first thing, great, great setup. And I agree with you 110%. I mean, you can't build uh, your business on rented soil. I'm not not a fan of social media. I've been on social media since 2006 on LinkedIn, 2007 on YouTube, my first YouTube account, Twitter, 2008, Facebook, 2009, been running ads on Facebook since 2012. I enjoy all the power of where the audience is. I respect each and every one of those platforms, but you must always build the platform for yourself. Meaning today we're having this conversation, which is called first party data because Privacy issues are popping up, Facebook, Google, everybody's changing the cookie processes and all these things. And I believe personally as a consumer, it went too far. I believe as a marketer, it's it's now you're going to have to prove you know how to actually get someone's attention, hold their engagement, and get them to trust you. That's what we had to do in offline marketing when I grew up in the 90s. There wasn't the internet jumping off. We had to go meet someone, shake a hand, build rapport, build trust. And now how do we do that digitally? But to your point. A business that um, we don't convince. One thing about us, uh, Lee, we don't convince people what they need to do. We help them solve the problem that they already agree that they have. And to the point of this idea of a website, meaning you must, like that's just a non-negotiable for us. It's a non-negotiable. We we rarely get anyone that comes to us that doesn't have a website. Um, But I'll just talk about a scenario that um, one of my sales guys mentioned this morning. Uh, he took a call yesterday and he's got a follow-up call. He's one of our new new members and and he was excited about it. And I wasn't as excited about it, but he hadn't made a sale with us yet. So I'm like, I'm excited for you. Um, you know, but the reality is he made a comment that the the guy on the call said, Yeah, we want to redo our website. And then we want to do this and that and this and that. And I just reminded him, let's make sure we put that in the proper order. Because if we don't generate revenue for him. We don't need a new website to generate revenue for him. Like we will, our, one of our core products is Google ads with a lead gen funnel and all of that. And because of the type of business that he is, I said, be sure to make sure he believes in that first. And he believes in the website design second, because we're not going to do it the other way around. And unfortunately, web design can take three to four months, five months, depending on how complex the website is. And guess what we aren't doing during that time? We ain't making no money. <laughs> so what I tell you, you know, we're an ROI first marketing minded company. Um, and it doesn't mean we make money day one, but we're putting the mechanisms in place. The recipe in our business requires getting close to uh, acquisition. And so I think today um, there's still a misunderstanding about where to go to generate the money. Sometimes we see companies that should be on Google first and foremost and aggressively thinking that they can backdoor their way in cheaply through Facebook or Meta and they're wasting time and energy and money. Your customer's not there. Uh, we have an, uh, uh, we have a quick process that we do. It's not quick. It actually can take an hour, but we have what we call the 11 o'clock at night exercise. 
That's what I call it. It's just my own made up uh, process for how we really think about sitting in the seat of the customer of our client. Because see, they're too attached to the business to really understand what's really happening with their client online. They're used to what they might have been looking for that person to do offline. And so we have a lot of psychological conversations. And so we like, okay, your client would like to be asleep at 11 o'clock at night, but they're awake. And it's about the problem that you solve. What's keeping them awake? And then we start this big detailed thing. And believe it or not, we do this before we build a website because building a website that looks good isn't hard anymore. Building a website that converts and actually acts like a sales consultant for your business is an entirely different website. That's the only kind of websites we try to build. Um, and that's kind of a distinction, right? We've always believed that your website should act as a sales consultant, not just a creative endeavor that looks good because people can spend 10, 20,000, $30,000 $30, on a website. And then they come to us and say, well, we built the website a couple of years ago, but we're not getting any leads. And to your earlier point, well, they haven't put in any functionality mm. to get a lead. They've got a contact page. Like, come on, this is 2022, y'all. Contact pages are not lead gen forms. <laughs> And I still yeah, see you know, the $20 million companies. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'm looking at your sites. We'll get to that. We'll make sure that our listeners get all the, all the websites you have. But I noticed they are all very clean and they're very purposeful. Uh, they're not too busy. And I'm like, okay, this is, it's just easier to digest what you're trying to do and how you can help me. And I, I encourage marketers to look at agency sites or look at marketer sites to see what they do. Um, and you may wonder or may think it's too simple or may think it's not what you expected, but the reality is these are professionals who were doing this for a reason and they hopefully do it for themselves. Um, now given I myself being one of those people could improve my own site some. <laughs> but, well, and I, I, I'm always the biggest, crit I mean, marketers sometimes are the biggest critics. We're never happy with anything, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I have pop-up forms on my website that perform at a half a percent and I want them to perform at two. And then I'll, you know, so we're never happy with it. So we got to be careful not to just overly do things. But, um, you know, I think the other side to building a website that works for revenue generation, lead generation is, again, not if you build it with the customer intent in mind, meaning why on earth would someone land on a LASIK eye surgery website? Why on earth did they get there? Right. They didn't just decide one night at 11 o'clock. I ain't got nothing else to do. <laughs> let me just go Google something about LASIK eye surgery. So if they landed on the site, the first thing and the best thing you could do is address either the two or three biggest common pains that they have that they want to solve or just clearly identify how it is you can help them to their goal. You know, one way I learned it growing up was um, when someone arrives on your website, they have to identify that you can solve their problem and basically take them from hell to paradise. And how simply can you define that? But you have to understand their hell and you have to understand what their paradise looks like. And the interesting part about it is, and, and we still have to work through it. It's, we're not perfect addict. And, but can we make sure that they feel like, oh, they get me and oh, they might be able to help me. Then and only then will they decide to click pages and go through the processes and, and end up on your calendar or through your sales mechanism. And it's a it's, it's an ever going it's an ever going process too, um, but there's a piece of empathy that we try to bring to all of it. That's interesting, and I, and I see that on your sites. And in fact, um, 
something I was looking at DarylEvans.net and something mm-hmm. caught my attention that, you know, you picked the worst side of them all. <laughs> well, you know, but here's like, like you say, we're our worst critics though. Um, because, you know, the worst looking site in the world is probably Wikipedia, but it's also the most trafficked, you know, Craigslist. Good point. Good point. Original yeah. Facebook. They all looked horrible. So, but they had the biggest traffic. So yeah. from the user experience and is it, in fact, last week I was talking with, um, Andy Crestadina, you know him from his, his SEO and his website building. Um, he's an expert and someone I would definitely go to for understanding, you know, what websites are doing, what the current trends are. And, you know, even he cautioned me, like, I'm talking about changing my website to fix some Google flags that I'm receiving for speed or for cash or something like that. And even he slowed me down, like, look, if the business is doing business, if the website's doing business, be careful on changing things. And so I've come to the conclusion, even with my site, all the things that I see under the hood that are so, they're probably so minute, they don't really mean, mean anything. I mean, I'm looking at, well, if Google says it should load in two seconds, then, you know, if mine's loading in three seconds, then I'm, I got to fix something, you know. <laughs> but if it's a high converting page, I could mess around and get down to one second and lose my conversions. What have I accomplished there? Um, but, but back to your website that you, you're criticizing your own site. Um, there's something on that I thought was really interesting on that site. Um, and because it had me scratching my head and I know that there is a valuable tip there. You have a list of items under the heading of you need a new marketing strategy if, Hmm. and one of those bullet points is you need a new marketing strategy if you're not running $1 per day ads for brand awareness. So <laughs> gotcha. if you're listening and not watching, his head went down with a smile. So I want to know, because, <laughs> you know, sometimes we forget things we have on our own sites. But yeah. I want to know what this $1 per day ad is and how I'm missing it for my strategy. Gotcha. Yeah, thank you. Um, so here's the, let me give a little bit of backstory, because for the last 12 years, our agency has largely been, and as we've talked about, the lead generation, we've been trying to get close to the money. We do have a top, middle, bottom of the funnel um, strategy of how we approach things. But over the last three to five years, as most people listening to this know, if you're a business owner or marketer, um, you realize that it's getting more costly to, um, to, to get in front of your ideal customers. Cost on Google PPC, higher. Cost of acquisition, higher. We run, you know, we run so many uh, accounts uh, from an ad standpoint on, on, on Google primarily, Google being primarily Facebook and Instagram on the secondary side of it. And we just, it's just inevitable, right? Inevitable. More and more business advertisers are showing up on the platforms. It's driving costs up. And it doesn't matter really how good you are. You can't get uh, around supply and demand curve. That being said, so the question is, is, okay, where are we now missing opportunity? And so I grew up, uh, Lee, in my days, I grew up offline. In the early 90s, I started my sales and, and entrepreneurship journey. And, you know, while it was always about, uh, let me just go straight to the punchline. When I was in real estate, I got my real estate license in 1992 or three. I was in college still, and I was just fascinated by real estate. It was actually one of my earlier loves before I switched to being in the world of finance. But what we taught, what, what they taught us back then was they taught us how to prospect the buyer or potential uh, listings, like listings that had been on the market that had expired. By the way, this is, this is like an anomaly today with today's market. People don't have market listings expire, but back then they did. And uh, there were also people back in the day who tried to sell their house without a real estate agent. They were called for sale by owner. 
And so we prospected those people because we knew that they were hot and heavy buyers. They were in what we would call the ready to make a decision zone because their property had already been on the market. But another strategy they taught us was about was called farming. And that was to market yourself into a neighborhood of two to 400 homes where you would become the authority in that neighborhood or in that community. It wasn't 10,000 homes. It wasn't 8 million homes. It wasn't the city of your city. It was go become the expert in this community of two to 400 homes. What did that mean? What that meant was go knock on the doors and meet the neighbors. Go out there and, and just be a, be a human, right? Go get connected to that little community, whatever that community was. So the conversation was around farming. Now, the other way to do that was through direct mail. So we would send out direct mail newsletters into this said area. By the way, you hadn't, you didn't even have to have done any business in that area to, to start and just pick your farming area. So this was an early strategy. It obviously took investment dollars to do that. I never forgot that strategy. And then when I got out of college, I remember going to work for Northwestern Mutual Life and Robert W. Baird uh, Investment Company. And I remember when I started in the company, before we started, they made us make a list of 200 people that we had, we knew, or we knew we could. So 200 people that you know that you can get a hold of by phone number. And if you can't get a hold of them, you know someone who you could get their phone number from. And the interesting teaching was it wasn't to go sell them insurance or investments. The goal was to introduce yourself, explain what you do professionally, and ask for a favor. And the interesting part of the dialogue to fast forward it was that was how they launched sales careers. They didn't launch the sales career saying you need to go sell 10 policies in a month. They said your job is to go have 10 meetings a week with people on your list of 200 and then from there get three referrals to continue the process of introducing what you're doing, how you help people, and then just keep building the referral chain. Why was that important? Well, psychologists say, and I'm not a per- I love psychology, but I didn't study psychology, but they say that the average person knows and has relationship with about 150 people, an adult person. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's true, and it likely is because they science people say it is, then your job isn't necessarily to try to sell people stuff. It's to be known, right? If we look at traditional advertising, radio, TV, billboard, we look around our cities, wherever you're listening to this right now, I bet you, no matter what the economy is, you always see billboards on the side of the road. If you watch TV without skipping through the DVR and skipping the commercials, I guarantee there's still TV commercials running. If you turn on the radio, if you do that kind of thing, <laughs> right, there are still radio commercials. Well, why do they run those types of uh, ads? They're not trying to, some of them are trying to sell you something, but a lot of it is brand awareness and top of mind awareness, right? How do you reach people? Go back to the 80s, right? 70s and 80s when I think it was Procter & Gamble or Johnson & Johnson, I apologize if I've got the name wrong, started running, uh, you know, the soap opera industry blew up and they started advertising CPG products on the soap opera, not because they wanted them to leave the story and go to the store, right? They wanted them to remember the product when they went to the store, but love the story, right? They wanted engagement. Dollar a day strategy looks like this. I said to myself through all of the small businesses that we work with, my own journey as an entrepreneur, my own journey as a consumer, I remember eating at this restaurant. This is when it hit me in, two, in, 90, in 2009 is when it hit me. And this is before we launched into the agency. I remember looking for this soul. I, I ran into this soul food restaurant that was literally a rock throw away from my apartment at the time. I could throw a rock and hit it. 
and I never knew it was there. Yet, I went into the supermarket in the very shopping center. So mind you, I'm in the supermarket and I don't know that their soul food restaurant is doors away. And then it went out of business. And I was like, I didn't even know they were in business. And I live right here. How come I don't know that this place is here? Dollar a day strategy is a social media strategy for every local business brick and mortar. And we do it a little bit differently if you're a nationwide company, uh, but it works the same way. The point of a dollar a day strategy is to simply mimic what TV, radio, and billboard does, but not from a in a wreck, need a check, you know, the type of thing where the call to action is to go buy something. It's designed for top of mind awareness and building thought leadership and trust. So Lee, you're in the, um, you know, you're in the content space, right? If I was recommending that strategy for you, I would be uh, having you shoot 30 second to one minute videos. These could be two and three minute videos. We've tested this all the way out to 10 minute videos. And we would have you pick a very specific target audience. Specifically, it works really well if you've already got traffic coming to your website and you want to stay top of mind with the people that visited your website but didn't take the action you wanted them to take. Because they've touched your website, there's a pixel there. You can now, and you would agree with me, that they probably are going to use Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube at some point throughout the day. Those are three top platforms around. So the job isn't to sell something. The job is to remind them of who you are and stay top of mind. And because they didn't necessarily take your conversion action, you can buy awareness and engagement for under 5 to $7 CPM, cost per thousand people reached or impression. And if you think about TV, radio, and billboard, I still get pitched by those companies to sell media. Uh, we don't do it very much, but if, if media make, if TV, radio, billboard makes sense for our client, we'll introduce it. But they're still selling 36 to $100 CPMs. And the goal isn't lead gen. So there's a world of brand awareness that's still available and those companies are still successful. So I said, well, how can we replicate that using social media? So what it does is it brings a lot of people into the business's world that either didn't know who they were, neighborhood restaurant, gym, chiropractor, LASIK eye surgery center. You know, LASIK was an example. 50% of all people, they say, wear glasses. Now, not everybody wants to get rid of their glasses, but if one out of two people wear glasses and LASIK fixes the issue for the person who doesn't want to wear them anymore, wouldn't it make sense that a lot of people know that you're in the neighborhood? <laughs> because we assume that they just know that we're there, right? We're not McDonald's. We're not Walmart. If you're sitting next to Walmart, you think you're getting seen. You ain't getting seen because of the way the human brain works. The reticular activator system only pays attention to that which it's interested in. So let me ask you this though. So we're we're both have backgrounds in sales. We both work with sales and marketing. We both understand the dance between justifying what marketing is doing to sales. Both understand content marketing. Um, and what you what you explain is a lot like that, but not quite that. It's part of a growth strategy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so my my question is, how do you explain that yep. to the sales team? That's always the biggest challenge is trying to explain what you said makes perfectly good sense in that we're not trying to sell this right now. We're trying to stay top of mind. Now, the big agents, the big companies know that. I mean, you go to a, a sports, sporting event, you'll see Bank of America or whatever the biggest, you know, Coca-Cola all over the stadium because they're, now Coke might actually sell a Coke right then, but Bank of America is not going to open any accounts right. during the fifth inning. Not going to happen. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's going to be that awareness, right? Yeah. Um, they get that. So 
and this is something I don't get a chance to talk about enough, so I'm glad I can talk with you about this, is on the local level, how do you, and I, I got a taste of this when I was in, I used to, be, I was in radio for a long time, and to supplement my on air, I thought I would do some sales. I lasted about two weeks because I couldn't deal with the idea of how they kept asking, how can I make it transactional? How can I make radio transactional? That was my, I guess, my first understanding of content marketing because radio is, it's not, it's not as, you can't calculate as well the transaction. So what you were saying about that store next door you didn't know about and the, the Lasix, all those kind of things. So how do you explain that to a small business that you need to spend money to be top of mind when and if they come in or to encourage them to know about you? How do you explain that? Yeah, so the beauty of the reason why I like it on digital is it's easier to explain when you understand the power of retargeting and building audiences. And because you can do that on Google, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and if you want to go out there and get to the LinkedIn's and the TikToks and the Twitters of the world, you can. But the vast majority of our clients don't have budgets to be on every single platform doing this. We want to be on the most prominent platforms that the most likely of your customers are going to be on. But here's what we do, Lee. We only use about 5 to 15% of an allowable budget for this strategy, right? So we're not so we don't have to justify it. Because when we put the strategy together, our clients come to us for one of four, if not multiple of these four reasons. They are coming to us admitting they don't have a strategy, even if they've been doing it, even if they've hired people, even if they've been with another agency. They don't come to us and say, I've got it all figured out. We just need you to execute it. That's never been the answer. So they need a strategy. So if you work with us, this is our strategy. We explain the strategy. The other thing about sales that I'll just throw out there, because I've been in the sales seat, I started on the sales track and then migrated to the, to the marketing track. And I respect both sides of it. But marketing does all the heavy lifting before. See, the salesperson doesn't want poor quality leads showing up on their calendar. See? So when you look at the friction between sales and marketing, it's that, well, I don't have good leads. Really? No, you just had leads that weren't ready to buy today. See, I, you know, if you think about it, the, go the goal of us as marketers, in my mind, is how do we get the right people to show up when they're ready to have a conversation and they're willing to admit at least two of these three things? Number one, I have a problem. And number two, I need to solve it. Now, the third part is what you have to earn, which is they want you to solve it for them, right? So that's kind of the, the dance between sales and marketing. So what does this strategy do? A, like I said, if you're investing in SEO, you're investing in paid ads, you're investing in content, not having this dollar a day. To, by the way, you don't have to just do a dollar a day, $5 a day. To, what is relative to your budget. But I do a dollar a day to simplify because I've worked in the SMB world for the better part of 20 years now. And I can't understand how many people don't want to invest in marketing, but they say they want to grow their business. And the uh, SBA study that I read that really tipped me over was uh, the study. It's been a while now, maybe five, six years, but it's not, uh, I, I doubt it's changed. The study said 92% of all small businesses spend less than $1,000 a month on marketing and advertising their business. 92%. And I was like, that can't possibly be true until I now know this many years later. It is 100% true. And so the question is, is why don't they invest in marketing the way that they invest time in networking groups, the way they, that they go mono -y mono because it's some of the way they've been wired in their old school way of thinking. So a dollar a day strategy doesn't have to be justified on the P&L because it's only 15% of the total budget. So as long as we're allocating the right 85, 
to lead gen appropriately, the CPL conversation over there is taking care of this. But what happens is, is that brand awareness spills into the lead gen bucket because now there's more trust and authority. Here's a perfect example. When we look at how long it takes for some of our clients to close a customer. So I mean, what's the time frame for you to get a lead and close the customer? And we have that conversation. So again, we're not just a marketing company trying to do things. We're trying to say, no, what at the point of sale, how does it work? At the point of sale, what are they asking you about? At the point of sale, did you win or did you lose? So when we have our monthly account meetings, we're not just saying, oh, we generated 42 leads for this eye center this month. We're like, of the 42 leads, how many of them moved forward in the process, right? And of that, of those that didn't, what were they telling you as to why they didn't, right? So we're using that to back for, backfill our copy, backfill our buyer persona information. And again, it's, it's an iterative process. But the dollar a day strategy doesn't really have to be justified. You're, if someone has to ask me why we're spending $150 a month on $5 a day ads in a site, because our, our bundle cycle is a $5 a day campaign, I won't get into the breakdown of it here, but if, you ha- if I have to justify why we're spending $150, you have no business being my client. <laughs> Which brings me to my next question. So I, I know we, every company has a threshold of, is this person, is this client suitable to be our client at all, right? Um, and I don't see this as, as much because we typically work with corporations and I'm still learning to, to understand what you've probably seen a lot more of, which is on the local level, those businesses that aren't quite ready yet, but they may actually start to get it. So if they start to understand that digital is a must for them, but they, they're not at our, you know, our, 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 our acronym talk about CPLs and funnel velocity and, you know, mar- marketing qualifiedly, all those kind of stuff, things that we know, but we know that they say, well, you know what, we, we know we need to do more with our website. We know we need to, you know, have a database of people to contact regularly. We know we heard about this retargeting thing, you know, and, and they're just basically your local plumber but they may be on the verge of having two and three offices or locations where digital has to start mattering for them. So how do you start the conversation for a small, especially service-oriented business who knows that digital is where they need to be going, but they haven't quite gotten there yet? Yeah, great question. Have it a lot. Um, and again, although local is in our company name, we work with companies all over the United States and and have global reach, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, we did start our footprint in local. And so let's talk local businesses, right? Here's what we know about local businesses. Most of them are providing a professional service of some kind, right? Restaurant to me is a professional service. You're going to provide a great meal for me. So if you're a local business from restaurant to gym owner, to fitness trainer, to chiropractor, to LASIK eye surgery, uh, doctor, to architect, to accountant, to lawyer, we have a lot of lawyers. What we know is they went to school, they went through their training and their accreditations and their certifications to become an expert at delivering that service. So they know that they're good at that. The minute they recognize they're not good at this digital thing, we know that we are in good shape because now the job is for us to explain the strategy. We have a six-step strategy. We have a six-step framework. It's like a recipe of a good chocolate cake, okay? Okay it gets applied to every customer we work with. So we explain the six-step model and why it works and how it's been successful for other companies up to and including showing screenshots without showing the customer's 
data of accounts that look like theirs or size of accounts that look like theirs or analytics that seem to be like. So we all we have to do is get them to believe that this is the recipe of cake that they want to eat. And if they don't believe in the recipe, we don't convince them of that, by the way. Um, we've got reviews. We've got all kinds of case studies. You can walk through our whole six-step framework in a digital framework on our website. So we're not trying to convince. So the, the sale isn't actually hard. The reason what, what's hard is their belief and commitment that now is the right time to do digital. And we do not try to convince them. So again, if they don't agree they've got a problem and they don't agree, they let's just say they agree they've got a problem. They have to agree they want to solve the problem. They also have to agree they want to solve it now. Now it's our job to figure out if they want to do it with our recipe. If and only if they believe we get to that stage, do we invite them to become a client? And I use that word very intentionally. Uh, there was a customer uh, that approached us, a potential customer that approached us, owned a very large franchise, multiple locations, five states. He was a he was killing it. He was killing it. And he was talking to us about, um, he was very good with the numbers. Most of the business owners don't hear the words that we use, CPL, CPA. They don't hear those words. That's not what they're interested in. Um, so we obviously take that down to elementary level. Uh, which is why our recipe is is broken down the way it is. But this gentleman was very sharp. This CEO founder was very sharp. I actually love the conversation because I just don't have a lot of those because they're usually so far up in the clouds with their their desire. But he was very clear about what he wanted. Here's what he said. Daryl, our, our current uh, cost per acquisition of customers 80 bucks, but we only make 70 bucks. I need my cost per acquisition to be down to 10 bucks. Can you help? And I'm like, well, tell me more. Fast forward the story because we don't have all day to get to the story. The punchline was the company that he was working, the agency he was working with, had only been working with him for three months. And I'm thinking, okay, so we got into the data. And what we do is go into the data without changing anything. And I went to look at what was happening with this other agency. And so this for me, Lee, is something people, they trip out when I say this. I will not go in and destroy the reputation of another agency if they're doing the right thing, but the owner is in the wrong headspace. So fast forward the story. I go in and I'm like, okay, they've only been here three months. CPAs are going down. They're not where he wants them to be. But can he, are they actually going to be able to get to 10? Would we get to 10? Could we get to 10? The answer was, hell no. Pardon my French. <laughs> you too much. No, you it's, too it's much. ridiculous. The CPCs, the cost per clicks were 10 bucks. How in the world are we going to get to? So you want to lead every, and I went back to the meeting. And I said, so you want to lead every time someone clicks on your ad? So bottom line was he was being unrealistic. Good dude, by the way. Maybe he'll become a client because we changed the conversation to lifetime value and a whole bunch of other things. But I went back to him and said, your agency's not doing a bad job. You need to give them more time. But you're not going to get to a, a, a $10 CPA. It's not going to happen. And I won't be making, I'm not being negative. Um, but to the local business owner, we're just trying to convince them, here's what they want from us, Lee, and this is the story of, of our agency. Our agencies want nothing to do with any of it. The vast majority of the nine out of 10 of our clients want nothing to do with anything other than submitting their credit card to us and letting us handle everything in the chasm. And they just want their phone to ring or the forms to get filled out with their sales team. Nine out of 10 could give a rip about anything in the middle. And I mean nothing. Some of them are so busy, they don't want to show up to the monthly update meetings that our account management team has to keep them informed, to ask the questions. It, it's very interesting. But, but remember, think about a lawyer, for example. Think about an attorney. They get paid three, four hundred, five hundred dollars $500 an hour for billing. 
if we need to meet with them for an hour or any more than an hour, they're like, man, you're, you're taking food out of my mouth. So it's our, they want someone to handle it. They want us to hire the expertise. They don't want to think about it. Otherwise, they would have. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And to replace what we do, you'd need at least three solid marketers to cover the content piece, the acquisition piece, and the, the web dev, copywriting, all that. You'd need a $180,000 minimum salary base, plus taxes, plus education, plus software. And you get us at a third of that, right? So you can't possibly... Now, there are some companies who do it in-house. That's perfectly fine. And the interesting part about it is we still work with companies that have three and four or five people marketing teams. That's that's 10% of our business, but 10, 15%. The other 85% are the small business owner who just wants to be best in class at what they deliver in their service. Like our plumbing company. I know he missed, I know he missed last month's meeting. I know he missed the meeting before that. He spends 5K a month on ads. He spends another 3K on Yelp, which we don't really have anything to do with. And he knows exactly what his numbers are. And what I know about this guy, I won't call his name, but he'll show up when something's off. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just challenging. We don't love it because he, dis, he disses us on our meetings. But the job is he just wants to go do plumbing. That's what he's good at. That's what his team's good at. He's, like, he's, got, the most, he's, got, he's got the second or third most reviews in his city. So he just wants to keep crushing that. He don't want anything to do with this. He just wants the phone to ring. <laughs> That, that makes good sense. That's, those are the best clients. I mean, that means they have the trust that you can, you're going to just get the job done. That's all they want, and, like you said. And you have to, and it's earned, right? It's earned. I mean, it's earned. And again, part of our reputation, part of the way we sell the products, part of, part of the way we acquire the customer, we don't sell products. We don't do proposals anymore. We stopped doing proposals. We don't do proposals. If you call us and ask us for a proposal, you will not get one. We only issue agreements. And that agreement is after we have a mutual discussion over, it could have been two, could have been three. Sometimes it's 10 months. We just had a customer come across the line after 10 months because again, I wasn't, we weren't going to pull him across the line. He wasn't committed to changing now. And I'm not going to say anything to try to get you hyped up about it. Our team doesn't do that. And so he finally got committed and he finally asked for an agreement. We gave him the agreement and two weeks later he signed it, paid his thing. And now he's been, he's coming on board with us. And so we just don't have a, we don't, we just don't have a, a, a process of our, our retention is more important than uh, getting new revenue. I mean, I don't want that to sound negative because as CEO, you know, we got to push revenue, but I'm, I'm not chasing revenue. We're chasing good relationships where we can have impact. And um, as you know, uh, retention in an agency model, um, it's, it's a, when you hold a, a staff and you've got uh, unique experts on the team, they cost a lot of money. I can't have clients coming and going. So we're very, we're very tough about who gets to come into the door. That's awesome. Well, Daryl, before we go, I want to make sure that our listeners can connect with you and learn from you more because I certainly learned from you and this has been a very uh, insightful conversation. So I know you have a lot of excellent frameworks and courses and your own podcast. So please tell us about all those places and how uh, we can find you. Yeah, Lee, I appreciate it, man. Thank you again for hosting a platform like this. I, you know, as a podcaster, I know what it takes. I, I'm on the other side, three years now running. Lee, I, I really think the best place is, is if people are listening to the business of marketing right now on whatever platform you're listening on, I'd invite you to come over to uh, check out the MindShift podcast. 
uh, with Daryl Evans. That's me. And um, just if you've enjoyed anything I've said today, we have a mixture of great interviews with entrepreneurs where we walk through the journey from inspiration to realization and when life knocks us down from breakdown to breakthrough. And then now I'm hosting a a different segment starting in 2023 where we're going to bring, whether they're existing clients, we're bringing in a session called Strategy Calls where we're behind the scenes in our mastermind group. And then we're going to highlight 15 minute segments where they get to ask me a question and I get to break down some business strategy for them. So I would say that's probably the best place. Uh, If they want to connect with me, you can find me all the rest of the places. If you happen to want to hang out or follow uh, some of the things we're putting out on social, um, I'm at Mr. Daryl Evans on almost every platform. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Daryl. I appreciate you coming on again. So stay well. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate you. Yeah, and thanks for the listeners. If you're listening to the podcast and also want to see Daryl and I, video of the podcast and others are available on the podcast section of contentmonster.com. Again, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, a show brought to you by contentmonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on contentmonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.